morning. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. It's showtime. This is the Bold Nonsense Podcast. We might as well have a good time. drop-in money and broadcast school has really paid off at still smooth productions <laughs> oh big gulps huh all right well see you later and the man you know as the smartest idiot in the world i think cerveza in a can is probably the greatest invention besides yoga pants and chipotle at st bales What's up, everybody? Welcome in Senseless. This is the BNPN, the Bold Nonsense Podcast. This is episode 157, and that means the red light is on. Stop thinking, get a little senseless with us. It's 6-10-2021. Uh, I'm at Walsh Disney, happiest host on earth. You yeah. took journalism. Yeah. Get out of here. Thank you for joining us once again. Smoove is exercising his right to potentially the best benefits package of all time. So he's off this week. What an idiot. Oh, what a loser. Good. Good. More for me and you. Which means we're going to keep it short, simple, and sweet. Uh, just have trivia and then the news for you. And then we'll get out of here. So nice and quick on this weekend. It is a Thursday. We're recording on a Thursday because I guess we'll start with this. It's our boy Bales. It's his birthday tomorrow. So we're going to go out, celebrate him a little bit. Uh, still get after it, even though our age is rapidly rising. Uh, it does seem. So uh, it's it's best friends week or, or that was Tuesday was best friend National Best Friends Day. And I was hoping to be able to celebrate not only uh, that, but our boy Bales, which is his birthday tomorrow. So, hey, make sure you go send him a, uh, a happy birthday from the senseless community. Um, I was hoping I'd get to get to talk to Smooth about that, but he, he's got stuff he's got to do. So I am here saying... Uh, how much I appreciate the two idiots that uh, I have gotten the pleasure to call my best friends for for over a decade now. So, National Best Friends Day to to Smooth and to Bales, uh, the the original senseless members. We'll we'll call them that. Uh, happy to, day to them. Um, but also, uh, you guys are dumb. So let's get on to trivia and start this thing off right. Trivia. Going to make that your final answer? I think you're pretty smart, don't you, Trebek? Uh, last week's trivia question went like this. Which coach has the highest career win-loss percentage 
for men's college basketball? Obviously, we asked that question because Coach Kayer was retiring. Um, and I kind of came up with it because me, me, myself, I was very interested in like, oh, okay, so where does he rank in some of these things? So I went and looked, um, found an interesting one, which is the win-loss percentage. And so the highest career win-loss percentage as it stood, uh, what is it, last week, was Mark Few at 83%, the Gonzaga coach, the longtime Gonzaga coach, 83%. Uh, of his games, he has won. So, um, for reference, Coach K was down at tied for 16th at 76%. So, not a huge, huge gap between the actual percentages, but 16th to 1st. So, a lot of good coaches uh, kind of in that territory. Don't, you know, I like the Gonzaga program, but I think 83 kind of shows you exactly what's going on up there. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people get, like, I... Whenever you bring up the conference that Gonzaga plays in, a lot of people get very get pretty testy about it. But really, it, it's one of those things where at some point a program's got to go grab blue blood status, go grab it, go get it. And Gonzaga, I feel like, is right there. Um, but they always kind of like little brother it. And it, it's almost at this point, it's like they think about themselves as the little brother. Go grab blue blood. Go be an older brother. And I think they could do that, but to do that, you got to get out of the conference. You got to go play regularly, play teams that could make a run to a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight in any any given year, and that's just not happening with even the the top of that conference, other than Gonzaga. So, uh, Mark Few, great coach, great job, but. Maybe make it a little bit harder on yourself. That might be where there's such a discrepancy there. So, uh, that's a good trivia question. Who has the highest career win-loss percentage? It is Mark Few as of now. This week's question. In 2001, 2000, all the way back in 2001, which two players won the MLB Rookie of the Year? In 2001, which two players won the MLB Rookie of the Year? Find out on episode 158. We're going to keep it rolling and hit the news. I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. This is the fucking news. News, 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 news. We're news too. Only news told much later. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. Fantastic. I am so sorry. Someone put the story in all capital letters and I, I thought I was supposed to yell it. Uh, it's kind of the NFL dead season, so we don't have anything in the news for them, but it is a big time in the NBA. So let's kick it off. Let's start in the NBA and work our way down. Uh, let's start first with some awards. Let's start with some awards because uh, it's going to incorporate some of the players. So uh, we've got our MVP, which is Nikola Jokic. And you know, that, I, I feel like that he was in the top. I mean, he was in. Uh, he was a front runner most of the season. Usually, when your team is that good and you are its uh, centering player, huh? For his position and for his status, um, it, it's usually going to end up being that player. So I feel like Jokic has been at the top, and uh, his his season was undeniable. And 
to me, it's one of these impressive stories, and one of the stories I feel like we love about sports is just like you know second round guy, um, and I, I saw something today that said like never forget Jokic was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial. It wasn't even they didn't even show his draft pick. It just came up on the screen uh, while a a Taco Bell commercial was happening, um, and. I think he, you've seen the commitment, one, the talent, the commitment, and the change that he's made to really, really make himself this player. It's something that we can all appreciate and something that uh, has been fun fun to watch since, you know, all the jokes about him being made about his weight and all that stuff. And um, he's really just kind of been, been cool about it and, and embraced it, but gotten better every year. And it culminates in this. So another... I think you you take this with kind of like in the Giannis story, a guy who who comes comes over and just commits and gets better every year and ends up with an MVP. So uh, fun story there. Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, um, is um, he is only the fourth three-time winner of the award. So. Uh, Kemba Mutombo, Ben Wallace, and Dwight Howard, and now Rudy Gobert have all won Defensive Player of the Year three times. So puts himself in pretty elite class uh, with those other three. And, and then he went ahead and proved it uh, in one of their games with a huge block. So um, those those two. And then the last one I wanted to talk about was Coach of the Year. When Tom Thibodeau, the Knicks coach, won Coach of the Year. Um, not my pick, not to be honest. Like not my pick. Uh, I feel like Tibbs is doing classic Tibbs stuff, and we saw that in the playoffs. I know this is a regular season award, um, and they went from who the Knicks were to a four seed, I believe. Uh, and it's New York, and that's why I feel like he won it. Is it's New York, and um, they did have a good run, but. The more deserving guy in my mind, Monty Williams, um, or Nate McMillan, either one of them, uh, kind of, the I feel like the playoffs, and I'm trying not to, you know, I'm trying not to have um, recency bias, but the playoffs are kind of proving out what I believe the Coach of the Year award should have been. Uh, Nate McMillan taking the Hawks and bringing them where, where he did up to the five seed, and then uh, Monty Williams taking the Suns, who I think were just as bad in terms of recently being terrible for their team uh, as the Knicks, just as bad as the Knicks, and have gone, they went to the number two seed quick, quicker, gotten better quicker, and it's probably overall, in terms of the history of the franchise, a worse franchise. Uh, there were, most of their successes come came from that Steve Nash era and that D'Antoni era. But other than that, um, I mean, I guess you got Charles Barkley before that. But overall, the history of the Suns is a lot worse than the history of the Knicks, and Monty Williams was able to go there and really turn that thing around. Maybe he got dinged because of all the the attention Chris Paul's getting, but I would have gone Monty Williams, then Nate McMillan with Tibbs being third. Um, But, you know, it's fine. The, The New York market... That'll help you out every time. So congratulations to those three award winners. Um, Now let's get into some playoff talk. NBA playoffs. Excuse me. Still going. Um, 
We've got the Brooklyn, the, the Nets in Milwaukee are playing now, I believe. Like I said, um, it, it's tough for us sometimes, the NBA, playing with the schedule that they've got. Um, but we'll, we try and do our best to reject it here. The Bucks and the Nets are playing now. The Nets lead that series 2 to nothing. And really, it hasn't been close yet. As of now, as I'm recording, it's in the second quarter, midway through, and the Bucks are up 10. I saw that they did. The Bucks went up 9-0 run to start the game. And really, um, this has been a shocker of a, of a series for me. Just We talked about it a couple weeks ago. The chemistry of the Bucks, and, and I kind of talked about it in relation to what the Bucks did in their first series, beating the Heat for nothing. That had not been who the Bucks were. Usually, they drop a couple games and make you sweat it out. And I, I thought maybe the Bucks had finally turned the corner. Maybe they are the team that we thought they could be. And then they come out, and Giannis kind of gets shut down. They don't really make that many adjustments, and they're giving up a bunch of points. And and Middleton's not shooting the ball well. And all, all this kind of all the classic things that you've always heard the past three, four years with the Bucks, and it it sounded like okay, this is this is um, what we uh, what we knew them to be, and they hadn't turned the corner. So I'm really keeping an eye on tonight's game and the 9-0 run coming out for the Bucks um, to start this game off and being up ten. These things are important. Now you've got to take the little steps. Now you've got to avoid the ghost because that's what happens with these teams. When you give up big series and you uh, underperform historically or your team the past few years, now when something like this, 2-0 happens to you and you've got this, this on-fire Nets team, this explosive Nets team, now you've got to beat the ghost. You've got to, you've got to try and quiet the voice in your head that says, we are still the team. We haven't turned the corner. You gotta, you gotta quiet the people like me, saying maybe you haven't actually turned the corner. And you've got to tell yourself. You gotta have had the confidence in yourself and in your teammates to say, no, we have. This is not who we are. Let's play like the team that we are. And and so this is a very important game that I really like seeing the the start to game three. Um, can you hold on? Can you hold on? Because a start can always be overcome. Um, and the Nets can certainly do it because they can fill it up. But if the net, if the Bucks, excuse me, can hold on tonight with the start uh, and play very well, then they might have a chance. Might have a chance. But man, they dug themselves a grave. Now uh, the Nets obviously are what they are uh, and play how they play, which is just fill it up with stars. So let's keep. Let's move on. Let's go to the Philly Atlanta series. Um, and that is tied 1-1. So Atlanta took the first game. Philly comes back and takes the second game. They're going to play tomorrow, game three. Embiid is really probably not only the the marquee name, along with Trey Young, obviously, but he's the story of this of this series. He's the story of the series, although Ben Simmons is um, trying to take over being the story of it in a not-so-great way. Uh, having played terribly, and now stories are just like he's not very focused. He doesn't really care, so um, that'll be big. But but Embiid is the driving force, and if he can play through his injury, be be aggressive, play good minutes, 
and be efficient like he was in game two, then I think Philly takes this. And that's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And that, that kind of is the story of the series. It, it, the series will go as Embiid goes. So just keep watching that. Let's get to the West. Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix comes out. Speaking of Phoenix and Monty Williams, they come out and they blitz Denver. Uh, they are the they are the higher seed, and they have a two nothing lead in this series. Uh, and really, it's been it's been the same thing they've always been. They they're consistently the underdogs in their minds. I think Chris Paul's got that team, and Monty Williams just has that team. With that mindset of nobody believes that we can do this, and they are playing like it, and they're playing all out all the time, and that's that's the cool thing to see is that um, it's this good mix of the young and the old, the the youthful energy of getting to play all out all the time with the Suns, and then the the veteran leadership of Chris Paul to be able to kind of mold that energy. And mold it and point it in the right direction. They're they're playing very well. Denver will need to figure it out, and I think they will. I think they will. This I don't see this series being a sweep. I don't see it being five games, at least six, if not seven. I think Denver is too good to just kind of roll over. Um, and then the last series we've got to talk about. We've got Utah and the Clippers, and the, they will play tonight. They're the late game there at seven. They start, so uh, by the time you listen to this, you'll know all of uh, the series uh, games. They will all, all have played again, but the Utah-LA series is very interesting. That that it, Utah leads at one nothing. Um, that is going to be uh, this game. This series to me goes six seven at least. I think it's very well match, matched. Uh, Kawhi's kind of coming into his own kind of I think woke him up a little bit in the first series and now this is this is a team when Kawhi goes is playing very well everything else kind of goes along with it so uh, with Utah knocking off the rust it's kind of one of those things this was it the momentum was it the rust what made game one what what really was it um, who got hurt more the rest or the tired team? What what is it actually? I don't think we'll ever get an answer to that question. But that is what makes these series interesting. So I think that's going to be a great series. It has been. It was great game one. It'll continue to be an awesome series. Okay. That is that. The last thing in the NBA I wanted to talk about before we move on is the Blazers really sucking it up. Um, and I, I gotta be honest, like, I know I've been very, very harsh on the Blazers, uh, one of their biggest critics, especially Olshay, but I'm more concerned than I ever have been with the Blazers. And, and here's why the coaching search is going on. They still don't have a list together. They're hoping to start, uh, next week. Jason Kidd has already withdrawn his name, even though he was a front runner and had been named by Damian Lillard as somebody that he supported. Uh, and then he promptly dropped out. Something's going on there. You know, good coaches like this. You know, Jason Kidd is a good, you know, an assistant in a good situation. But something's going on. When you've got players like the Blazers do, uh, and you've got historically a good you know good fan base good you know good uh organization good ownership that there has been historically has been um 
when you've got something like that, Portland's the place that people go and they stay because they love it. They've got the good support and everything. So what is going on? What is changing? And the only thing right now that's changing and in the place to point the blame, and I know I do this all the time, but hear me out here, it's O'Shea. So you've got this uh, president of basketball operations and with the unfortunate passing of your previous owner, power is going to go somewhere. There a void's going to be filled. And what worries me, and this is what I'm saying, is this is why I'm so worried. The most worried I've ever been is it looks like Olshay's taking that power. That he is he is filling the void and he's becoming the guy. And that's the that's not good because there were two people that needed to get out. But really, if if it was you're gonna put them in order, and you got Stotts and you got Olshay. Olshay was 1A that is the problem and needed to leave. Stotts was 1B. I would even put him as 2. If 1 was going to go, it needed to be it needed to be Olshay because the roster is not good enough. And Stotts can only do so much. You know, I, I feel like right now what it is, the NBA is becoming a GM and players league. And the coach is kind of being hopped over Um Kind of being leapfrogged in that. So what's our issue? It is the roster. And it has been that way since O'Shea got there. He's never gotten us over the hump. And he never will. But yet he is taking power. So that's why you need to be worried about the Blazers. It's not just the fact that, the, that you know, we've got this coaching staff or whatever. Coach wasn't as big of an issue as the roster, and now we've got the guy who's setting up these bad rosters, taking more power. He's not going to fire himself. That's not happening anytime soon. So, what the issue is, is this isn't going away. Now he's got the power. Now he's secure in his job. He's more secure in his job now than he's ever been. There weren't even hints at him losing his job. Uh, even though everybody... Uh, when, when the heat got hot on the Blazers and everybody said things have to change, there was zero buzz about him actually losing his job and this this is the most heat that the blazers have gotten in a long time in terms of national media and so i think he's just got a firm grasp and then you listen to some of his interviews uh nothing's changing the roster will not get better um moves won't get made uh, i don't expect cj to go anywhere uh, because you listen to his interviews and O'Shea is, is the king at being condescending and saying nothing, uh, while doing, while, while doing so and believing he's just smarter than everybody else, even though he is uh, a terrible GM, but he doesn't believe so. And he just, he is, um, under the mindset that a lot of Blazers fans are, and that is using the excuse that we are not a big market and therefore we have the right to say, well, we can't make big deals. We can't get these things done. We can't get free agents. Uh, as if that has ever been a viable excuse in professional sports. No, that it's just not. Get it done. That's your job is to get it done. Your job isn't to come in and make excuses, but that's what he's doing. Uh, and we're going to keep getting them because now there's a, there's a power vacuum. He's taking all the power and he's not getting rid of himself. So the Blazers organization that has historically been well run from top to bottom um, even when they've made their mistakes, it's been well run and people have have understood that. 
is now losing that that structure that has always been there from ownership on down. It's always been there. It's always been strong structure. Well, now we're losing that as well uh, as having all of our issues that we had always had. And that, that one of the major advantages the Blazers had was that structure um, to fight against some of the issues that they had. And now we're losing that. And it's all O'Shea. It's all O'Shea. Until people stand up to him, uh, and his condescension and his, and all of that, um, and kind of his, his bullying, his media bullying, you know, if you talk badly about him, he won't give you interviews, uh, or he won't come on your show or you're not allowed to, you know, take part in media, uh, media things with the Blazers. That's bullying, and that's him running away from his responsibility and running away from his job, which he's been doing since he got it. Uh, so, yeah, Blazers, Blazers fans, we're in a world of hurt, and it's not going away. Sorry about it. Let's keep moving on. Let's go to the MLB. Um, pro baseball is in this weird place. Uh, they've got uh, their commissioner, Rob Manfred, is someone who everyone pretty much thinks of as a dope pretty much thinks like this guy sucks uh yet he's someone who uh i think there's nuance to so if you if, if you think about it in terms of actual leadership being strong in front of a microphone um getting out a good message that that unites those kinds of things he's terrible at that He's terrible at that. But I've got to give him credit because he's got the cojones to do what baseball needs. And he is actively trying to fix baseball and their issues uh, when it comes to the, the game and fighting against analytics. And what and, and it's not fighting against analytics doesn't mean you fight against the numbers, guys. What it does is you have to fight against what analytics does to your sport. And the, the side effect of analytics is a bunch of home runs, bunch of strikeouts, uh, pitchers not pitching as much. It's, it's all of these things that, turns out, make for a shit sport. Nobody wants to watch it. And that's what we've ended up with in baseball. Uh, and Rob Manfred has come in and said, we have to change this. We have to, uh, we have to stop and stop the boring sport of everybody trying to hit it over the fence. Because what that actually does is everyone's waiting for something to happen. And when something does happen, it takes about four seconds, actually less. It takes about, uh, you know, how long does it take for a ball to travel how to get out of uh, the stadium at over 100 miles an hour. And that's the thing. It's from the bat to go over the fence. That's the only excitement we've got. And then it's watching somebody jog around the bases. And that's what they've realized is this is not what people want to see. People want to see action. And how do we get action back in the sport? And so they're trying to do different things. They're being very aggressive about it. And where am I going with all this? Baseball is starting to stop the substances on the balls for pitchers. So, uh, for people who don't know, pitchers have been using uh, substances, pine tar, uh, they started putting on there. And then they, they started whipping up concoctions of like pine tar and sunscreen and, and all these sort of things. And it's moved into um, what they call, they call it 
like pelican skin. They call it spider tack, which is just these sick, sticky substances. Um, basically, it's stickum, but for pitchers. And that's what they're using uh, to get extra grip on the ball, extra spin. And that's what they've started to talk about is spin rate. Which basically just means how, how fast can you spin your ball, which is going to does pretty much two things. It makes the ball break harder. And the bigger thing really is that it makes the ball break later with the, the grip and the extra spin. Um, and the closer the ball gets to the plate, still at very at, at high velocities, uh, and the later it breaks, the harder it is to hit, the less time that the hitters have to react to the break on the ball. Um, basically makes it impossible. You know, I heard I heard a stat um, this week that was, uh, if you think 2,500 RPMs, rotations per minute on the ball, if that's average, any pitcher that can get over that 2,500, and that's what this foreign substance is doing on the ball, it's getting it over the 2,500, the batting average, the average uh, of the hitters will go from roughly 250, which isn't all that good, to about 189. So it drops a, a, a huge amount and just kind of shows you that when these pitchers are getting these foreign substances on the ball, they're basically unhittable. And so the baseball has said, we're cracking down on this. This is, this is, you, we're stopping this because if we give, uh, we, we tone down the spin rate, make the pitches more hittable, people will put them in play. Hence, more action, which is what everybody wants to see, especially in baseball. Basically, all baseball has to do is envision bef before pre-Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run contest. Before that, if they just went bef right before that, if they played the baseball then, that they if they played that now, the baseball that was happening then, everyone would love it. That is good baseball. People are still hitting good home runs. But people are also hitting for good averages. And people are playing good defense. That was was prime action in baseball. And that's what they're trying to get back to. So to, get, to, to go forward, you need to go back. And that's what they're trying to do. And that uh, they're trying to take the foreign substances off the ball to do it. So Rob Manfred terrible at some things love the fact that he's being aggressive at getting action back in baseball hate the fact that Garrett Cole is kind of taking it on the shins as being the only guy who ever did this because um, he's not everyone was doing it but once it gets to the point where hitters can no longer keep up because of it that's when you got to end it love the fact that they're trying okay last thing that I want to talk about this week um, before we just give a real quick rundown on anything, but is in college football. And that's the talk of the playoffs expanding to 12 teams. Um, and real quick drink here. All right, excuse me for that. Um, so people are talking very seriously about the playoff expanding to 12 teams. And basically, you have two factions. And this is where I think uh, things get a little bit muddy. You have two factions. You have the business and the competition. So let's just take the business because it's incredibly easy. Business-wise, make more money. Add extra playoff games, more money. 
Of course they want to do it. Everybody gets that. Where it starts to get a little bit, a uh, little bit different, a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more um, heated of a discussion is when it comes to the idea of competition. Because then people, what they, they tend to bring is, is, well, we need to expand the playoffs because we keep having these teams that aren't making it. Teams that we think deserve it. Teams that have good years. Uh, I think Cincinnati last year that didn't get in. And that's where everybody wants to. Well, well, you know, four. What's the difference between four and five? And that is where I, I believe this this fallacy comes in. This, this comp- competitive fallacy, if you will. In believing that if we just add more teams, we're going to have extra competition. Because that's not real. That's the fallacy. It's not really how it's going to work. Because what you're not looking at is what's the difference between four and five. If that's what you want to do, then you can argue about who makes it into the playoff. What you need to do first, before we start expanding, before we start talking about the difference between four and five, is start talking about the difference between one and three, or one and two, and two and three. All those things. Because the difference so far hasn't even been close between one and two or one and three or one and four. Those kinds of things, um, for the most part, like generally, that that is where our issue really lies. is not in who's getting in, but does it matter who gets in? Because so far, it doesn't matter who gets in. It only matters... Um, Basically, we know who's going to win it, is what I'm trying to say here. So it doesn't matter who gets in. Who cares? So you let you swap out five and four last year. They're still getting mollywopped, whoever it was. Uh, nobody had any chance against, against Bama at that point. Nobody had a chance a couple years ago, you know, against the Clemsons or whatever. It, and that's what we have to fix, is it's really the three teams and then rotate for the fourth team and our fix is make more teams behind the four? That doesn't make any sense. What you need to do is try and even it out between one, two, and three, being Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Make everyone else, allow everybody else the opportunity to have competitive balance first. Then you can go ahead and expand. Again, we're talking from the competition standpoint is just allowing more teams into the 12 team or, you know, expanding it to 12 teams, which is way too many for college kids to be playing, by the way, and allowing four through 12 to get their asses kicked instead of allowing it just to be four and then some competition between one through those, those top three teams who are basically just rotating between the three of them who's going to win it every year. I mean, that, that's what's ridiculous here. Fix that. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of limit the limit the um, the amount of scholarships you have. You know, you can have your walk-ons fine, but li- if you limit the the amount of scholarships, and this is an argument that I heard, that I love, that I back, that I'm a fan of, um, is. Limiting the scholarships makes it so Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, they can't, they can't lose their top three corners and still be fine. 
And that's what's been happening. Is it's like, oh, dang, last year, Bama. Oh, dang, our center went down. Good thing we have the top-ranked center from last year and the year before that and the year before that and probably the year before that since it's five years for most people in our program. That's the issue. Is It's like they're not affected by anything. And these teams are so much better than everybody else that it doesn't matter. We can allow 100 teams. We can have a 100-team playoff, and we know who's, we know who's going to be there at the end. It's one of those top three teams. And that's what you've got to fix is a competitive balance, not the amount of competition. That's your fallacy. Not the amount of competition, the competitive balance. Attack that, then we'll be fine. All right. Uh, so that's what I want to talk about. I think it's dumb that uh, trying to expand. The last thing I just want to run down really quickly is how awesome the NHL playoffs are. Um, so far, we've got three of the final four in and in the uh, the last one we're waiting for is an amazing series between the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, right now, the Vegas Golden Knights, it is a 1-2 series. The two being the Knights, and they lead it 3-2. to two. Um, So we're waiting on that. If you've got the time, watch it, because it is electric. Okay, other than that, that's really all I wanted to do. Wanted to uh, run down some, some news. Give you the trivia, of course. Um, and I actually went longer than I thought I would, naturally, because I can't shut up. Uh, I do like to talk. I do have the things I need to say. And I finally got it. I, you know, I got it off my chest this week. And uh, I don't even mind going long. But there you go. Still keeping it relatively short for our regular shows. Um, news, trivia, done. Uh, NCAA being dumb. MLB, keep trying. Players, shut up about it. Uh, and the NBA playoffs roll on Blazers. Yikes. Everybody hold on. Everybody hold on. So that is episode 157. Uh, other than that, until next week, you can always interact with us on Twitter at bold underscore nonsense, Instagram at bold dot nonsense, or if you want to get real personal with it, email us bold dot bold nonsense podcast at gmail.com and we will hit you back. Um, expect the show on Saturdays. That's when hopefully you're listening to that. We are your Saturday side piece. Um, and if you do that, you know, just understand sometimes we record on Thursdays. So take this with a grain of salt. We try to project forward. We try to talk generally about things instead of trying to break down get game by game, especially if it's in like the NBA or anything. Um, but definitely interact with us. We love to hear from you. And if you can help us out by subscribe, rate, review, whatever, whatever you got to do on Spotify or iTunes, those are the best places. We, we appreciate you for that um okay other than that happy birthday to ask st bales everybody go wish him one of those four still smooth um believe he says much love i'm at walt disney if you love it love us and this is about this is a bnpn this is a bull nonsense podcast this is your invitation to maybe start a letter a letter writing campaign about neil O'Shea to somebody uh, in the Blazers front office, if you can find them. But let's be honest, Neil O'Shea will probably just take them and burn them. Um, and this is your invitation to stay senseless. Have a great weekend, everybody. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Thank you very little.
I hate goodbyes. It's over. Go home. Go. Oh.